seek to take control of the House of Representatives. Republicans are going to retake both the House and Senate. A liberal MSNBC host warning Democrats about the potential for a red wave. Do we have any sort of canary in the coal mine type indications of where we may be headed on that front? Fox News is calling the Virginia governor's race for Republican Glenn Youngkin. You and I have a rendezvous with destiny. We'll preserve this is a day the Lord hath made, fellas. What a glorious <laughs> bunch of news we have on the Ruthless Variety program. I mean, it's a pretty amazing day. I, I, I had said from the beginning, I thought, you know, this is going to happen. Elon's going <laughs> to fall through. He's a guy who, when he puts his mind to something, he gets know. it done. Deal's closed. Uh, take check the tape on that. Yeah, I'm going to have to check the tape. I, no, I was skeptical, and I'm, I'm willing to admit it. Um, and I'm willing to admit it because... I want to be able to enjoy this. Enjoy. Enjoy this day. Yeah. Well, I mean, look, this is such a big deal. What we're talking about, of course, is the news that Elon Musk's offer to purchase Twitter has been accepted. Yes. I mean... And and, and if you're on Twitter right now, you're probably still seeing a lot of the commentary around it. The discourse is getting to be pretty hilarious. Oh, man. The libs are pretty pretty unhappy. Our people came to play, too, though. Oh, (laughs) man. These guys are so funny. I don't know if anybody hasn't followed Greg Kelly's account. He is literally tweeting every single thing he can think of that has been banned by the libs over the last nine months. It's just hilarious. (laughs) I saw something on hydroxychloroquine or something. Ivermectin. Yeah, he went through the list of COVID drugs, <laughs> one by one. I mean, look, this is great news. We're going to get into uh, in a more fulsome way later in the program. But I mean, that coupled with the official demise of CNN Plus, boy, freedom's on the march, huh? It really is. Freedom's I mean, on and, the march, and that's the other beautiful thing is you're you're getting nonstop advice from the same crew to to, to Elon, like, hey, we've got some business advice for you. You shouldn't buy it. And, and Twitter, here's what you should do. Here's our here's our advice on, on, on how to run a company. And they run CNN into the ground in what, like a week? A week. <laughs> With two or $300 million. Exactly. Like a, a large amount of cash. They just lit it on fire. Lit it on fire. This is definitely the world's largest troll, though, right? I mean, the fact that he gets... I mean, this is... Maybe there's a business incentive in here. It's not totally clear. I think he... I mean, I think he really feels like it's a public service to buy Twitter. That he really believes in a public square that has limited uh, regulation and people get to say what they want. And, you know, Twitter's a great place, I think, because, you know, the most powerful people in the world have to deal with comfortably smug. Right. (laughs) Yes. Right, 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 right. What the, the left would call. You know, oh, this is just cyberbullying or harassment or whatever. I mean, I feel like there is a societal good with the p- most powerful people in America tweeting something out from their phone and then getting reaction from everyday people. Yeah, and accountability. It, and, and, and it's a platform unlike, you know, some of the other ones where, like, people, like, will do it themselves and tweet themselves. Yeah, yeah. I just think there's something great. Dude, that's democracy. Totally agree with you. We're going to get into that in a minute. Uh, first, we have a new, a, a brand new situation here on the Ruthless Variety program. We've invited a Canadian yes. aboard. Yes. Uh, the Alberta premier, Jason Kenney, joins the program today. And uh, we don't just talk like hockey and, and like, you know, winter games. Tim Hortons? <laughs> Tim Hortons? Oh, Tim Hortons? <laughs> Little puck? We have, a, we have a, a lot of listeners in uh, 
in Canada, our neighbor to the north. We do. So it, it turns out um, I didn't really know that until we booked this guest, and then you told me. I think. Yeah. We ha- We literally have a, a thousands of, of thousands. Li- yeah, of listeners. Yeah. No, I, th- I think I made a shot about Canada being America's hat one time. Yeah. And <laughs> you I got just, some blowback. I got, I got some blowback. You know, I just Ashbrook's kind of been on a roll with the. Uh, <laughs> With the ethnic, ethnic uh, attacks, yeah, yeah ethnic. Know. It's Canada. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I, I've had I've had poutine. I've had poutine, and I tell you, there's nothing like that in the United States of America. I would consider that an ethnic cuisine. Okay. Yeah, G- Gordon Lightfoot. Yeah, I would consider that ethnic music. <laughs> The guy is he's among the most talented folk singers in, in history. They have a nice uh, repertoire of folk singers up Stan there. Stan Rogers. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, we talked to him today in large part because you've heard us talk an awful lot about energy in this country and how absolutely ass backwards everything in the Biden administration is about domestic supply and, and basically going and begging the world's worst countries and dictators for yeah. their benevolence uh, instead of you know taking care of things this guy's perspective on that is actually incredible because his province is where the keystone xl pipeline was mm-hmm. hooked up to right and so he's the one that helped negotiate all of that so his, i mean his view of this is 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 damning and it's amazing we get that because it's like next level because like you only hear the buzzword of like Keystone XL and people know, you know, okay, this was something that made us energy independent, but Biden killed it. But we're going like another level deeper to actually, you know, th- this is someone who was involved in making that happen. Yeah. It's yep. incredible. Yeah. And, and and presides over the whole shooting match. And so he's got some, some great stuff to say. Um, I also wanted to lead the program uh, by noting uh, the death of Orrin Hatch. Uh, Senator Hatch was one of the nicest people that I know and have ever worked around. Um, an incredible human being, a senator. You know, look, almost everybody knows who this guy is. He, he ran for president. He was uh, a total anchor in terms of, of solid judiciary presiding over judges. I mean, mm-hmm. he, he sort of helped make all that super popular. Uh, amongst conservatives, which of course now we know, like, look, today all of our wins become because of Republicans taking our judiciary seriously. But it really sort of started with with Orrin Hatch. And like you think of, you think of rock rib conservative, and that's it. Like yeah. the guy was an institution. For, like I mean, did so much for our cause. Incredible. Like uh, he he got more legislation passed than anyone in Senate history, right? I think that's a. I think that's it's, a stat. He's, he's certainly way up there, and um, he's also was also just incredibly down to earth. Easiest guy to approach, the friendliest, least pretentious person you would ever run into in the Senate. I mean, he was so so incredibly kind, and um, we've got a lot of friends who work there. One of one of them is a close friend of the program, uh, Matt Whitlock. Some of you uh, may follow him on Twitter, but uh, but Hatch really touched touched a lot of people in his state and uh, around the country. Yeah, and his staff really was family to him, too. I mean, he took everybody in. They all thought the world of him. Uh, one of his staff sent over the weekend, I don't know if you guys noticed this. I, I don't even read the New York Times and Washington Post when a, a conservative legend passes mm-hmm. because it just infuriates me. Yeah. You know? But apparently this this was, I've got a screenshot of the first headline before it was quickly edited at the New York Times. Oh, man. Uh, it says, Senator Orrin Hatch, the Utah Republican who crusade, crusaded for right-wing causes in a seven-term career has died. He was 88. 
Jeez. What? A, I mean, look, he was a conservative and a bona fide conservative. He was also best friends with Ted Kennedy, right? I mean, this guy, look, there's a lot of stuff that he got done in the middle that frankly is to the left of my political viewpoint, right? When you talk about things like S-chip or whatever, but he did it because he thought it was the right thing to do. This was the easiest guy to get along with in the entire Senate and almost everyone will tell you that. But boy, oh boy, is he is he missed. And uh, we wanted to give a shout out to him, his family, all the staff, and, and basically anybody who's had contact with Orrin Hatch over the years because he was an absolute legend. Um, okay, should we go into some five stars? I think we should go into some five stars. Yeah, let's do it. Sure. Uh, Dunks, you want the first one? Sure thing. Uh, title is Every Episode Hits So Good by Chris3346. Since day one, Ruthless has inspired, informed, and entertained me more than anything. I'm a Nova Republican. Oh, wow. Look at that. And uh, I feel isolated in my community and my company, and Ruthless recharges my soul. Nice. <laughs> it's a punch to the horse, a round kick to the Amazing. koala. <laughs> And an uppercut to a bear that I need. <laughs> to hear the boys spew wisdom, laughs, and fun twice a week is not enough. Love you all. Ah, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Great, great one. Smug, you want this one, next one? Absolutely. It's uh, titled Masks, Libs, and Doxing. It's from Patriot Cat with a K. It says, I, like so many others, discovered y'all on Megan Kelly. Thank you. And thank you, Megan. That's always awesome when we're on there. And I'm so glad I did. You're the first podcast I listen to in the morning on Tuesday and Thursday, and it starts off my day with a big smile and a lot of knowledge. I'm a little bit older than your target demographic, but you guys give me hope for the future. Also, our target demographic is everybody. Yeah, <laughs> right. This it's is like everybody. the biggest tent in the business when it comes to demographic. Like, you know, it's like the Alamo. Grab, grab a rifle and man the ball. That's <laughs> right. You're in the club. Uh, after listening to the podcast about that heifer that docks the lives of TikTok creator, <laughs> heifer, <laughs> heifer that docks the and heard that the uh, Washington Post didn't have a problem with what she did, I thought it was time to get a new motto. Instead of democracy dies in darkness, how about tyranny thrives in darkness? That's, I mean, this feels that's right. pretty apt. Keep up the good work, and I'll keep listening. Thank you so much. That was that was pretty good. That was pretty good. It was really good. I thought this last one. I was surprised to see the production team put it in here because generally this is at least one of the, the people uh, oh my God. on the <laughs> podcast saves it for themselves. <laughs> so, Ashbrook, why don't you go ahead and give it give it a read? You know, um, I sort of wish we had Smug read this one, but I'll, I'll go right ahead. <laughs> okay, this one is titled Voice of an Angel, A Sound to Behold. It's a five-star from High Life Light. Review reads... This podcast changed my entire being. I remember where I was taking my dog for his morning walk when I heard it. Like angels on high, the velvet voice came through my earbuds. Here we go. The voice of John Nashbrook. (laughs) I grew weak, fell to my knees, looked toward heaven like a beam of light from God. It's so much better because Ashbrook's reading it. <laughs> how, how many family members does Ashbrook have? He's got a big family. <laughs> got a big he family. does have a big family. Like a beam of light from God coming down to bless my soul in my liberal wasteland of an environment I call home. Maybe it's a local guy. I wept. Jesus. I wept, held my dog for comfort, and continued to listen. I finally blacked out. (laughs) But when I came back, I had found a new inspiration in life. 
if we can live in a time when such a spectacularly amazing voice exists, it shows there's still beauty in this world, something to cherish. Oh, my God. What? Well, such a well Paul written. Harvey. Well, well written. Real Paul Harvey vibes. I do say so myself. Well written. Also, the Nathan's hot dog guy. Yeah, yeah, like yeah, yeah, yeah. Flourish yeah. In there. Like what? what uh, My favorite part was when he did a flourish on his own name. Yeah, on, the jo- on saying John Ashbrook. That was yeah. nice. Uh, it's thoughtful. Well, we always love our five stars. Those uh, last ones, uh, not as much, but we appreciate the effort. Oh. <laughs> Get out of here! Please keep sending them. <laughs> All right, uh, let's start with CNN Plus, right? So we've been talking about this here for the last uh, couple of weeks about how everybody has sort of come to the conclusion that this wasn't quite going to clear the tree line. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And as it turns out now, CNN Plus, uh, this is from Brian Stelter's Twitter account, believe it or not. CNN Plus, a streaming service that was hyped as one of the most significant developments in CNN history, will shut down on April 30, just one month after it launched. I mean, it's just, it, it's the feel-good story of the year so far for me. <laughs> I, I, what I love most about the tweet, though, is it says CNN Plus, the streaming service that was hyped. That he hyped. Who, who, who do you think hyped it there, <laughs> It was all Felter. <laughs> Spokesman could it have been CNN? (laughs) Just incredible. The the lack of self awareness. We're all trying to figure out who did this. (laughs) 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 There there was literally not a single person talking about CNN Plus. No one more than you. Well, it turns out the business model of trying to get more of what you already hated was not a good one. Uh, <laughs> so, so the end it goes. I think we might even have some audio here, do we? Let me try out a theory on you, Matt, which is it's too yeah. early to know if this product, if this service was a success or a failure. I've yeah. we got all the haters today saying Amazing. this thing was a failure. I don't know <laughs> if we can even ever assess that because it just simply didn't have enough time because of the management change in direction. <laughs> By change in direction, he means they lost a ton of money, so they couldn't continue. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody signed up. I mean, it's how many times do, do journalists try to rationalize? Why don't we just keep losing money, guys? Come on. <laughs> I mean, like, it's really wild. Like, their whole business model, because no one wants their, their product. No. no one wants the absolute trash CNN's putting out there. That's why their ratings have plummeted. They're in last place. No one watches it. Not even airports. Even airports won't play CNN anymore. <laughs> Things have gotten that dire. I'm like, you know what? We can sell this to people with a subscription service. It's That's like, what they want. It's like those um, those communists on Twitter. Like re- real socialism hasn't been tried. Real CNN Plus just hasn't been amazing. Tried. <laughs> just hasn't been tried. Amazing. Just hasn't been tried. Yeah, sure. It was three hundred million dollars down the tubes and only lasted a month, but it has, it didn't really have its chance to shine. <laughs> yeah. I went. At, you know, I think part of it is his problem with the definition of failure. Uh huh. Right, because he said we don't know if it was a failure. So I just went to Merriam-Webster just to check it out. Oh, nice. Okay. A failing to perform a duty or expected action. Uh-huh. Mm. That pretty much defines yeah, what we right, saw here. Right. CNN it? Plus is right. officially the definition of failure. Because yeah, right. CNN Plus Because that. by definition, a streaming service is successful if it continues to exist. Right. Which it didn't. By, by definition. But it also, I mean, they set these goals. 
Yeah, it's like the definition of failure. Absolutely ridiculous. Well, um, I mean, the, the thing is, these people, first of all, Stelter's hilarious. The potato is so accustomed to being Baghdad Bob. He's so accustomed to being the spokesperson for the, the Zucker CNN brand. Right. That he actually, I don't even know that he knows he's doing what he's doing. Right. I mean, yeah. how can you say something like this was not a failure? Straight face. It's his analysis, by the way. He's definitely completely lost a sense of reality. I mean, I, I mean, I know we assume that in general with people in CNN, but I really think Stelter is like next level. <laughs> I think like, you know, like you mentioned Zucker, I think Zucker had him as like his little lap dog. And, 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 and to Stelter, his view of reality is like, oh, the world is what Zucker tells me he wants. Well, right. That's it. Right. That's it. Right. But Zucker isn't the boss anymore. In fact, his current bosses thought it was a failure. They shut it down. So who whose interests are you serving by beclowning yourself and saying we don't know if it was a failure or not? But don't we know? I mean, look, I hate to project too far out, but don't we know this guy's on borrowed time? Yeah. I mean, I, I, I would oh, no. say with a great degree of certainty. <laughs> oh, no. no. I mean, like, he's out there talking about how this thing could maybe not have been a failure after they flushed $200 million down the drain. Yeah. And it's like, mm, I'm yeah. not sure. So let, to put a finer point on that, Axios, which has been under the hood this whole time, has this hilarious quote from a Discovery board member. That's the acquiring organization here. And they're the ones that are calling the shots on all this stuff. Here's the, here's the quote. Quote, it's emblematic of how Zucker used CNN as his private playground and political operation operation masquerading as a news channel. They continue, that non-news apparatus <laughs> and its members will be jettisoned like CNN Plus in the coming days. That hit so oh, hard. thank oh. the Lord. That hit so hard. Oh. Guys, between this and Elon Musk. Oh. You know, I, I hate to say it, maybe we're about to see another reason to watch CNN again. Right? I mean, I mean I'm going to. The I, Ukraine coverage has been pretty good. I'll see it. Yeah. I'll, I'll believe it when I see it. Yep. Right? I, I think it's also like we're, we're in this perfect storm right now where you're looking at, uh, you know, a, a lot of companies this quarter missed earnings. Uh, a lot of folks are nervous about where we are in the business cycle. Are we headed towards a recession? And so if you're if you just bought this company for what what Discovery is now saying was an inflated price, they're like, why, why the hell do we pay so much for this <laughs> pile of junk once they've like really gotten to see under the hood? Right. And and you're, you're, you're headed into an environment that you're the property you acquired. CNN has lost like all their viewers. The ratings are in complete trash. You know, you're going to have business headwinds. It's time. They're like, it's time to cut. We got to cut to the bone. We got to go with what worked, and what worked was when CNN was a respected news organization. When like uh, you'd have Wolf Blitzer yeah. in the Middle East, and their scuds flying over his head, people were like, "Okay, I can watch CNN and get a sense of what's going on." Now it's like they're trying to tell you what to believe, which is a complete departure from the mission. Well, of not the news only that, but tell tell you what to believe, but also tell you what's important. Mm. Right? It's not news. What what they spent five years doing was masquerading this bizarre anti-Trump sort of wokest uh, culture upon the American people, or at least upon the few viewers that were still watching <laughs> CNN, right? But but all of it was fake. Mm. It was just nonsense. Yeah. I mean, they weren't covering news at all. Yeah. I mean, I'd go back to the days when they were covering like poop boats. 
you know it, what I mean? It, like that was their answer to, to car chases from. Well, no, and it away. wasn't just the poop boats. Remember, they, they if there was a plane crash. Heaven oh, forbid yeah. there's a plane crash because that's all you're going to see see on CNN for seven days. But I'd take that. Yeah, I would take that. I think you know, just to be cynical about this whole thing, it seems like to me, you know, they see the writing on the wall. Like you know, this board member from Discovery, yeah. I'd love to shake that person's hand and no be like, kidding. "Yes, you're absolutely right." And, and the but, reason they're getting that out is, I mean, it's a reason. Right? They're like, but, "Folks, it's on the but way." But there's a financial reason to defang the liberal slant of CNN as well, and that is like. Republicans are going to retake control of Congress. Yeah. If 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 not if not one maybe two. Yeah. You know, um, and then we're going to have a presidential election. Like, it makes sense to reposition the CNN brand as not the hair on fire, RussiaGate, RussiaGate, RussiaGate station. Oh, like, I'm sure. You know yeah. what I'm. You know what I'm they, saying. Like they were very incredibly short sighted because I think for a lot of, of the media they saw that Trump was like rocket fuel yeah. for attention like if, if you're giving folks Trump everyone want everyone everyone wants to see Trump whether whether you're on the left or on the right you want to see Trump so so they're like okay you know if Trump equals ratings then now that he's elected what if we became the not Trump you know so we can still talk about Trump all day long but when we go to cocktail parties people won't say we're assholes and that's what happened to CNN yeah that's, that's what, what happened that's what became of it and nobody watched. <laughs> <laughs> and nobody watched. And now they've taken. Uh, yeah, a, I mean, in the absence dive. of Trump, they they have nothing to offer. They have no identity. And and the board being like, okay, uh, you know, there'll be changes coming. Well, we'll stay on top of the changes. We'll let you know right away if there's anything that's uh, worth your time or worth tuning in. Until till then, uh, remain in your current posture, which is. Not tra- not turning the channel to CNN. Yeah, and and speaking of left wing organizations that are finally being held accountable by someone who acquired them. Oh, oh man, <laughs> the reason we've gathered here today. Yeah. Elon buys Twitter. Um, you recall a couple of weeks ago we reported on uh, Twitter. First of all, Elon made a move to acquire an enormous number of shares that ultimately was to get him on the board of the situation. Since it became pretty clear that behind closed doors, Twitter worked pretty aggressively to make that not happen, right? So then he comes over the top and makes this just public filing and all of it public on Twitter saying, I'll buy the whole damn thing for 54 bucks a share. And it put him in an impossible place because Twitter clearly wanted to continue their progressive liberal you know ruling class operation they didn't want to accommodate elon or anything that he stood for but now they're stuck in a place where they're in a fiduciary responsibility to their shareholders to have to either entertain the offer or basically face criminal problems right i mean that's the thing is is when you, they they're accountable to shareholders yeah and, and shareholders are like Listen, this stock has done jack shit over the right. past few years. Right. It's been outperformed by every other tech company, every other social network. They can't ship product like Twitter. What's an innovation Twitter has had? You know, what's a product that they have shipped? Like, even if they're, if, 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 if uh, spaces, that's like it. Yeah. And like, all they did was like, okay, steal Clubhouse. Bingo. <laughs> you, you don't, you don't think Cherry Jacobus is a product? Yeah. And I mean, it's, like there's been zero innovation. You don't think innovation. that Twitter account provides. And, and, and like when Elon's like, uh, when, he, when he tweeted before the acquisition was finalized, when he was like, you know, think about turning Twitter HQ into a homeless shelter since no one shows up. It's like, 
the he's got a great point. It's like, what are the employees of Twitter even doing? <laughs> like, they have not shipped any product. There have been no changes. The only changes that have happened to Twitter as a service over the past few years is they've just clamped down on the right. They've what? clamped down on conservatives being able to voice their concerns. They've completely just, like, made themselves uh, a, a mouthpiece and, and an organization for the left wing being like, here's what's uh, acceptable, here's what's unacceptable, here's the Overton window, here's who you need to get rid of, here's here's our enemies, which you need to make your enemies now. That's 100% right. And for those of you who are not on Twitter wonder why this is important at all, and I get that, believe me, I get that. But Twitter sometime in the mid-2010s basically assumed the position of all of the political press and all of the political pundits uh, airing out their news and and having this public discourse on their platform, right? I don't know why it happened. I don't know why it was Twitter and not Facebook or some other platform, but that's what happened. So you've got this incredible influential class that spends an enormous time, way too much time on Twitter interacting one one way or another. And it's since it become sort of a product of greater Washington, D.C., right? Mm -hmm. And I know that there is there are huge tech elements in, in Silicon Valley and tech Twitter. And I know there's financial side in New York. But there's all these little fiefdoms that have become sort of more powerful than any other platform in terms of getting your message out. Yeah. So when that platform decides what you can say and how you can say it, it has profound consequences. It's not dealing with like the mom and pop store on Main Street. They're talking about, I don't know, eliminating the count of a sitting president of the United States. And right? I mean, j j just to understand really the impact that they've had, how many stories over the past, you know, X number of years has the headline been so and so tweeted? So X, right? You know, totally. As it drives news. Like as opposed to like, when's the last time, it, or has anyone ever seen an article that's like, hey, so and so, you know, posted this to Snapchat? Like it just doesn't right. happen. Like Twitter is the de facto. Unless that Twitter. person's being stalked by Taylor Lorenz. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, did, did did you guys see what Musk proposed in his statement today um, of changes he's going to make? No, let's hear it. He said, "I also want to make Twitter better than ever by enhancing the product with new features." making the algorithms open source to increase trust, defeating spam bots, authenticating all humans. What smug, what's your take on 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 those three things? So I I mean those are those would be incredible changes. Incredible changes. Um I, I know personally he's a huge victim of these spam bots where you'll have hackers who basically will hijack a blue check account, which normally, you know, honestly, I'm not against. But what they do with it is like they change the profile photo to look like Elon Musk. They change the name to Elon Musk, and they'll reply to Elon Musk. Be like, I'm, give, tweet, I'm giving away. Yeah, be like, I'm giving away Bitcoin. Bitcoin click yeah. here, and it's it's a scam, you know. So I can definitely understand his interest, and I think generally in the interest and the integrity of the of, of the platform in getting rid um, of the spam bots. And and the thing is that when he says authenticate humans. I have a lot more faith in in him being the one calling the shots behind that program than I would pretty much before he owned it. Like if 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 Twitter released this thing of where they're like, okay, you have to give us an image of a, of your photo ID and your you know current residence uh, to be able to use our platform under the current leadership, I'd be like, all right. Yes, that's the end of the game, you know, current, because current I don't trust these people. Current leadership, you're supposed to supply your um, your driver's license, 
and your well, DNC membership card. <laughs> right, yeah. Correct. And then you're through. Yeah. Right. With well, the also blue check. Uh, with the blue check. And yeah. your FEC proof of donation to, to, to like, they, there's give a him minim- left There's wing. a minimum threshold. Yeah. Um, and also when he says, uh, what, what to me is the most fascinating is him saying he's going to make the algorithm open source. Because, I mean, that is so fascinating, the ramifications of what could come from that. Because, like, so much of... You know, the game of social media and, and what you'll hear from a lot of people, especially like, you know, on YouTube, on Facebook, on platforms is like, you know, who's done a good job of figuring out the algorithm, which is basically saying getting your content, your tweet, your YouTube video to be featured, you know, to pop up first when someone searches for something to optimize, you know, how do you optimize for the algorithm to get your voice out there? And like, I mean, YouTube's a prime example of where people, you know, there are folks, uh, you know, uh, a famous example is Mr. Beast, who have, like, clearly cracked the code on how to get the algorithm to work and have made, I mean, millions and millions of dollars as a result of that. So to open source that would be a radical shift in how things work. And I would love to see what what the world looks like under an open source algorithm if everyone knows the rules of the game. Yeah, right. Then it really is just completely based on who plays the best, right? Yeah, it did. well, and it also alleviates the concern that conservatives have had forever with Twitter that when it's run by a bunch of left wingers, that they throttle the content one way or another. And, and that's the other thing is like the gaslighting that's been done to conservatives, where they're like, "Oh, there's no shadow banning, there's no downranking." It's so clear, so clear. It's incredibly clear that the that the algorithm has been employed to downrank. And like when they rolled out the system, this is a huge tip for for our listeners who are on Twitter is. By default, they try to make it so that the algorithm selects which tweets you see. Yeah, you don't just see a, a, a timeline in 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 order of of who tweeted. You know what, which is how it was when it first started. Yeah, you you saw a chronological timeline, and that was it exactly of who you follow. Which I think is you know it's the most honest way. You have to go into the settings or you know click in the top right and select okay, show me the timeline in chronological order, not the algorithm, because we don't know what their algorithm decides is important and what doesn't. You know, yeah, like totally like if you use the word conservative and it doesn't also include a, like or evil, does that mean you're going to get downranked and not even show up on timelines? So here's a question. Do you guys think that the lib staffers over there are burning documents all night tonight? I mean, there's going to I think there's going to be such a freak out over this. Such a freak. Like, remember when uh, uh, the ban went into action under President Trump at the airports and how you saw them just like lose their minds of how they're like okay it's time it's you know the civil war's begun everyone like this is it and 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 the kind of like i mean libs love doing the kind of like pedestrian activism which is like i will pick emoji for current thing and put it next right, to my name right right right, 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 right. but right. i really think this is going to just really break their already fragile brain we're meeting brains to uh, such an extent because i mean for all this talk of how Twitter has been this like organizing place for conservatives because of Donald Trump, like a lot of left wing activism happens on Twitter. A yeah. ton of it goes on there. And it's basically I mean, they've they've got their tentacles in there and they took over. Yeah, it's been just like, you know, if, if you're a left wing activist, this is your place. Um, and, and in the absence of having total control of that, because this what this is about, like the reason you see the journal, so many of these journals like Stelter. Uh, was a prime example of where he was like, uh, his commentary on Musk buying is he was like, wow, can you can you imagine if there was a place where like anyone could say whatever they want and are, have total freedom? 
that's not a place you'd want to be, right? What a t- like. Just- <laughs> I mean, <laughs> well, I can have you heard of the Bill of Rights and the Constitution, the Declaration of Independence? Like, this it's is very why- clearly a place people want to be. What they're revealing there is why they hate America. Yeah, I, why, I can understand if like you're America. a guy that presents like Brian Stelter why you wouldn't want to be in a room <laughs> with a lot of opinions. Like, people shouldn't be allowed to be mean to me. <laughs> That's what I mean. I brought this up as, as I said. There's this huge freak out among the left and and liberals and journos but i repeat myself uh and the freak out is because they're worried they will be treated how they treated us for the past few years Mm -hmm. that's their concern that's their concern well we'll see and the thing is we're gonna play a game over this one we're gonna play a game it's been an elusive monday game we've had to work real hard to get the judge and the jury to put one together but we've got one now today and i think it's Sort of on this topic. Yeah. I mean, we're going to play Demo Journo. Uh, and all of the <clears throat> tweets or statements are based on Elon Musk and the sale of Twitter. <laughs> uh, so let's hit that theme music. Demo Journo, Demo Journo, Demo Journo, Demo Journo, Demo Journo, Demo Journo. Nobody knows. <laughs> okay, so for our new listeners, oldie here, but goodie. <laughs> this is an oldie but a goodie uh, song and game, um, where I read four statements and Smug and Holmes have to decide which one is the dem. That means three journalists, one Democrat, four statements that we will read. Uh, Smug, you took one of the ones I really wanted to read here, which was. Uh, Brian Stelter's. Oh boy! Uh, so we'll just go ahead and remove that one. I'm sorry. It was so good, though. It was so good. That's okay. I just had to f- <laughs> on the fly find another. I mean, that was so incredible. That's great. For him, I mean, like it's mask off. They're like, wait a minute, freedom. <laughs> so good. So good. All, All right. right. What do we got? Statement number one. Make no mistake. Musk's ownership of the company will likely make the platform into even more of a hellscape. (laughs) Wow. Okay. Uh, Statement number two. Reminder. Elon Musk's fortune, which ultimately enabled his takeover of Twitter, was jumpstarted by American taxpayers. Oh, my God. Wow. Okay. Okay. Statement number three. There are plenty of models for where this site will likely he- is likely headed. I'm on those sites all day. You're not going to like it. Pretty fucking so good. You're not going to like it. I just what I like about that is because that was a tweet, and it's like we're all on this platform to get like we all know what it's like. What are you talking? You've got special insight knowledge about it. Anyway, uh, statement number four: the forty-four billion dollars for Twitter could have easily been used to provide food and clean water for the poor, housing for the homeless. Shelter for the refugees, medical care for the sick, 
and funds to eradicate serious illnesses. Mr. Musk would have been a hero, not just another capitalist. Oh, my God. Oy, oy, oy. Oh. Oh, man. These are th- oh. these takes. It brings me. This is why I, it, it has to be curated. It has to be curated. I mean, you these know? are such fine. A lot, lot, are, lot of work. There, there, there's no fillers here. This is all. No, that's bangers. all hot. <laughs> that's brand. That's great stuff. All right, let me turn my head. Smug, you can do it. I mean, you this do. is really, really tough. This is my guess for the dem. Okay. I mean, and it's incredibly difficult. Oh, this is difficult. I think we should talk through it. Um, so number one for me is a clear journo. Okay. Uh, and I'll tell you what, hellscape is sort of to me something that journos uh, use frequently when talking about Twitter because there's no more sensitive human being than a journalist. Than journalist on right? Twitter. But they're yeah. all on Twitter and so they get the backlash. And, and and listen, one of the reasons why media has become more liberal than it already is is because they build these constituencies on pl- pl- platforms mm-hmm. like Twitter. Mm-hmm. And their goal is to constantly provide news and information or what have you that gets positive results, right? Mm-hmm. And so increasingly over time, if you look at even a good journalist, right? Even if you were to go to like like Maggie Haberman with the New York Times, if you go to her Twitter account, when she gets shit, it's by lefties that are upset right. that she is covering Trump. You're style. responsible mm-hmm. for Donald Trump. Is right. Like their favorite They're like, thing to no, say. you shouldn't report on all news, just news that makes Republicans look bad. What's right. wrong with you? <laughs> right. Only news Don't makes you me very happy. And that's how yeah. journalism works. <laughs> right. But because of for four years, she was, you know, the journalist covering Trump. And so she built an entire following of people who were just exclusively conditioned to read negative shit. Right. On Donald Trump. Right. And so it's just it's kind of become that. Anyway, every time any one of these journalists has a problem, they're always like, oh, it's a hellscape. Well, yeah. Well, you become the audience you build. Right. You are the hellscape. So my my guess for for number one was was Dem and for a very dumb reason in hindsight, because I was just stunned by the bias. I was like, (laughs) this is so like stupidly left. I instantly like on my little piece of paper, I instantly wrote Dem has to be like this is. Well, dude, you might be right. You might be right. Let me let me talk through the rest of it here. The taxpayers one has me hung up a little bit on number two, because that feels like it could be dumb to me. Um. I'm going to come back to it. You're not going to like it strikes me as a beat reporter, a reporter who whose job it is to cover the right. And so they have to go to places like Reddit. So and they have to be like, oh, listen to these fucking people. I got a bit of cheat on this because I saw this idiot's tweet and he's a very famous moron. It's, It's Ben Collins, who's one underscore, I guess, on 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 Twitter. And his job is is is. Quite literally, I think they, they say he's got the like uh, 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 dystopia beat or misinformation. Wait, so I'm right? Beat. Yes, so I, yes. I hit it right he, on the nose. Exactly it. it. Like he's one of the biggest clowns on Twitter. Where like their news organization for years is like, hey folks, Trump's a KGB agent, right? And like they never right. fess up. <laughs> right. To like, like, let's just we're gonna level we're, with we're you. Gonna, <laughs> we're we're gonna push. We're gonna push disinformation for four years, and then you know what? We got this new beat yeah. fighting disinformation. Yeah, which is like amazing. The most incredible of ironies, because it's like yeah. they've been an absolute factory, right, for this made-up bullshit for years, and and he's he's one of the top clowns uh, 
in in the business on that? Well, I'm listen. I'm glad I hit the uh, hit the mark with that. Um, so then, and then number four, the easily been used for good. So this is where I'm hung up between two and four because easily used for good is definitely something a lib would say, like a damn operative lib would mm-hmm. say. The only thing is, I, they must have missed the whole encounter with Elon a couple of months ago when somebody came at him with something like this. And he was like, if you can show me where to spend $10 billion to eradicate hunger, uh, I'll give you the whole thing. And then and it was like a UN guy, right? Or something like that, yeah. right? Yeah. Like, yeah. And, and, it's like the, wor- like the World Food Program or yeah. whatever. Yeah. And, and then, <laughs> I mean, that was incredible because uh, people were like, hey, you can destroy world hunger and it'll cost this amount. No, that was only for like one year to support. Yeah, right. With the with he the UN like World f- Food Program would like, and then the food program guy rolls up and is like, "Hey guys, uh, yeah, give me money." And then Elon replied with, "What's this?" And it was this article of like news that had recently come out about how like the UN Food Program misappropriated so many funds. There's so much corruption. And there was like sexual abuse. They yeah, were sexually abuse. abusing kids. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's basically the worst place you can put your money. <laughs> right. So like, among the most evil organizations, <laughs> like we do it all, corruption and abusing kids. <laughs> so on balance, I'm going to say that a Dem operative does not miss that exchange, whereas a journo most likely would. And I'm going to go with the taxpayers as as the Dem here. So my my thing on this is, and I agree, I think it's it's a very Dem move. But I guess journal because it seemed to me that like a lot of journals try to like cloak their obvious bias and being like my cause is is nobly good. Yeah, you know? that's a good point. It's a really good point. They're both really really strong arguments. You guys, we haven't played this game in a while, but you're still pretty sharp. Got to dig you. in. I mean, these deep. are insane picks. These are yeah. great picks. Um, Holmes is correct. That's Robert Reich. Ah, um, there with we the are. taxpayer line. And it's definitely somebody who would have missed the news. Yeah, the dude was just, he's on a tear today. And I got to read bo- some. And a booster seat. Yeah, and a booster seat. I got to read some of these other ones here. He's, oh. actually, he's like 4'11", right? 4'6", four, 4'7". Four, yeah. Yeah. 3'9". 3'9". 3'9". He followed up that tweet by saying, when oligarchs talk about freedom, beware. For Jeff Bezos, it means the freedom to set prices. I think he means fixed prices, but the set prices, okay. For Jamie, Businesses don't deserve the right to set yeah. prices. For Jamie, for Jamie Dimon, it means his freedom to consolidate the banking industry. For Elon Musk, it means his freedom to set the terms of political debate. Don't get it confused. I just love that. <laughs> the dude is just so such a bitter little man. Oh, oh literally, man. literally. I'll take it. I'll take the W. Uh, all right, we have two more quick things before our interview that we got to get to. First is, did you guys see this poll on what Americans would like to see reincarnated here? I did. Brought back. Yeah. I saw this. I mean, I was so pissed. I was outraged, yes. frankly. So you were outraged by yes. it? Yes. It was a YouGov survey. Yes. Right? And it served. It asked Americans for their thoughts on preserving endangered species or even trying to bring back extinct species. Right. Um. Where was your outrage, old man? Why would you put passenger pigeon in the fucking thing? <laughs> I'm not mad at the people. I love the people. I'm mad at the at YouGov. What a terrible selection for the for the survey. <laughs> and and who cares? And, and the you, numbers are so crazy. So you look at uh, northern white rhino. 
and 44%. And that's the best numbers I think Kasich has gotten in his career. (laughs) (laughs) The the Caribbean monk seal? I mean, I think think this is revealing who they're asking the questions of. There's some good ones on here. I mean, Dodo Bird is a good one to include. Giant Tortoise, good one to include. Wait, you want want the Dodo Bird to come back? Not in particular, but I can understand why you put that in the survey. To hunt it because it's famously extinct. That's the only reason I'd want it. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I think that's true of all of like them. Like animals right? that, I mean, like giant tortoise, I don't give a fuck. Well, am passenger I... pigeon, I, I don't even, that's like one of those like factoids. Did you know the passenger pigeon's extinct? I, I wish the ones that are still around were too. Like, <laughs> like who is it? <laughs> Flying rats. Who, who is, yeah, who is it who gets a survey who's like, and here's the word pigeon. It's like, yeah, we need more of those. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Have you ever ate pigeon? You can no. hunt, You know, you can hunt pigeon. Is that good? Yes. Is it good? It's actually pretty good. Yeah, it's really, pretty good. really. Pretty yeah, good. yeah. The only the only trick to it is you got to make sure you get the beads out of, out of the, <laughs> yeah. oh, the, sh- the shot, the, the bird, bird shot. shot. Yeah, the yeah, bird, shot, bird shot out. You know, because yeah. you get the you get another on a tooth, and you're gonna have a dental problem for quite a while. Huh. So I, but that's the way I look at all of these. I don't look at them as oh, though I'd like to go see them. Point the it's nutritional like, value. Right. I mean, how do you eat them? Right. A giant tortoise. I guess that'd be pretty interesting. Maybe you could come in like a tortoise bowl. Yeah. Right. Where they just like. <laughs> If we're talking about animals we'd like to hunt, all of the all of the primo content is at the bottom. And that's, I, the that's the T Rex. So I'd like to rephrase. Hold on. I'd like to rephrase what I was talking about. I was talking about eating a giant tortoise. Okay. Yes, yes. I, that was all I was talking about. You sick bastards. I thought you were very clear. I thank you, yes. Duncan. The guy at the end of the table didn't seem so. <laughs> but but what I'm most shocked about is 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 of, of these numbers. Like only 10% support bringing back the T-Rex. Like what is wrong well, with Well, because par- I think part part of the survey in here, the at the end of the, of the question in the survey, it says, you know, do you want it brought back and released into their natural their uh, oh, original okay. habitat. Yes. Okay. And it's like Tyrannosaurus Rex would be like Wyoming. <laughs> yes, dude. Like think of how cool that would be, yes. but how terrifying that would be. It but, would own because but, I mean <laughs> already like Wyoming is a serious place. Like you can't be a clown out in Wyoming. It doesn't work out for you. <laughs> right? But do you but think like the, the like repercussions are very fucking serious. Like yeah, you don't, don't want have T Rex. Like it's it, it's one thing it's one thing to be <laughs> Be the you know the king of the dinosaurs when you don't have like Hummers and airplanes yeah. and helicopters and stuff. You know they might actually be more scared of us than we are of them. Well, they're tasty little arms. That would the be vestigial I mean, arms. That's the thing. Like, it would be so cool to just kill and eat these things. The yes. little arms. The yeah. other thing is mastodon. I absolutely want to kill a fucking woolly. It mammoth. might prevent the libs from fleeing California to Wyoming. This might oh, scare them nice. from, from that, going and see, turning the state That's a blue. great point. Border rexes. Yeah. Border. Right. They just 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 line them up on the border. Yeah, that's yeah, not but, a bad call. That's the cure. That's that's how we solve all these problems. <laughs> you got it. We make the T Rex and put them in red states. <laughs> They're just watching it. the border. <laughs> trained, trained T Rexes. I mean, that's the next step. Is like you know someone could crack the code on how to make that happen. If you had like an attack T Rex, it's like, dude. Like that's that's serious shit. Like Elon Musk would have a, an attack T Rex. Yeah, exactly. Huh. Just standing out in front of his <laughs> with his little arms, <laughs> oh, peering over the fence. I mean, I just don't get how people would not want a T Rex, Triceratops, saber tooth tiger, yeah, woolly mammoth. All these should be like yeah, very very small in this poll. Uh, T Rex ten percent, Triceratops twelve, Pterodactyl eleven, saber tooth tiger twenty. But I mean, passenger pigeon came in at forty four percent. 
That's insane. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's ridiculous. People just don't have their priorities. They just don't have their priority. Okay. So this is a uh, article from the Otago Daily Times. Uh, I don't know. I'm not familiar with the publication itself, but it's about a trainer and a racehorse both testing positive for meth. (laughs) (laughs) Which is... Awesome. Okay. I, think, I think we know Otago is, is out in the hills somewhere. <laughs> well, let's just get some. A trainer and her horse has been have been banned. Her horse? It's, yeah, that's her, wild. Yeah, yeah. Had it been banned from racing after methamphetamine was found in both systems after a successful race. <laughs> Rochelle Lockett received a three-year disqualification from Racing Integrity Board earlier this week. But if she can stay off the drug for 18 months, she might be allowed to saddle up again. The test came after B. Flexi, that's the name of the horse, B. Flexi, uh, won its race at the Otaki Maori Racing Club meeting at Otaki oh. in January 5. This is New year. Zealand. Oh, is that what that is? Yeah, yeah. Mm. Oh, okay, I just immediately went to a different accent there. Um, and she won like... Uh, Otaki s- Maori. <laughs> 7,000 <laughs> bucks or something like that. Uh, so they tested the horse. You know, this is absolute bullshit. Bad. It's like you tell people you're, you're here to race and, and then you can't take speed. It's like, okay, what are we even doing here, folks? <laughs> what are we doing? Right. It should be speed across the board. Like everyone's like, should, should, you know, steroids be allowed in the NFL or whatever. It's like there's ramifications, you know, like if, if, if you have, you know, bigger dudes running faster, hitting harder, you know, people are going to get fucked up. But if horses are running faster, there's no downside. There's no downside. Let's see how fast we can make a horse run. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're like, their hearts explode. There are, there are downsides eventually. Yeah, they, I mean, listen, if, if the horse wants to run. They're in it. Let them run. Let them run. If, if the horse wants to be fast, you do everything to help that happen. Well, it's very consistent with your junkie horse. Today. Yeah. And, and to be honest with you, we should do the same thing with dogs. This is the Ash. We are not going to be a pro dog racing podcast. We need to bring back greyhound racing in this country. (laughs) I mean, to to me, we are going to get so many nasty letters about that. I don't want to. I don't want to knock anyone who's down with it. But like to me, greyhound racing is like the last rung of like. You're down bad, like you're down at the, so bad at, at the dog racetrack. Watching them chase the robot rabbit, like that come was, on, that's because, gotta get it. That's because you've never experienced. It. <laughs> like you Let need your you, fix. It's like you've I don't never care. felt. You've never felt brotherhood <laughs> like a group like, of guys it standing around watching the dogs run. It, it doesn't and it have brings, to. It brings cultures together. It doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't have to be a horse. They're like anything with four legs. I will bet on. Make it run. Have you ever seen it? It's a beautiful animal. A greyhound is a beautiful. I would have a greyhound if my wife would have let me adopt a greyhound. Do you know how fucked you would be if you had a greyhound in your house? They're out of control, dude. Yeah, right. It would run away. (laughs) It would have nowhere to go. It would run away. Like Mach 10. Which is, this is the argument my wife makes. She's like, we can't get great. It's like people who get those uh, Rhodesian Ridgebacks and they're like, yeah, it, it looks good. It's like, yeah, sure, but you got to run like 10 miles a day or it's going to lose its mind. <laughs> I love that. But every, Greyhounds, hideous dogs. Every time. Hideous dogs. They're, they're like, very They're fast. like those, what are those? Great those athletes. Those elkhounds. It's like uh, if you put a mop or, or if you shave an elkhound, it looks like a Greyhound. Like they're horrific dogs. Awful looking But just dogs. a tremendous athlete. <laughs> We're going to get some nasty DMs the on The best this one. part is every time we get negative letters, it's something Ashbrook has done. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he does manage to shoehorn some stuff in that's his, his particular hobby horse. Yeah. Keep it coming. Or hobby dog in this case. Yeah. Uh, okay. Let's go. Let's get to our interview here today. 
this is Jason Kenny. He is the premier of Alberta. I want to welcome to the program the very first Canadian, I think, that we've had on the Ruthless Variety program. Jason Kenny, he's the premier of Alberta, Canada. Welcome, sir. Great to be here. And I'm proud to be the first Canuck. I mean, that's something, right? We've had 150 so odd guests and, and you're the first Canadian. So you guys always take us for granted. <laughs> We're like the, you know, neglected little sibling. We're making up for lost time here. And, and you know, more importantly, listen, we can maybe learn a little something about what's happening in, in Canada uh, which I think, look, I think there's a lot of things happening around the world that that we're feeling with domestic politics here in the United States that I'm sure you're dealing with. Let me f- start with this. How's the red wave going in Canada? Are we are we, uh, conservatives making a charge here? Well, actually, I do think there's something happening in our politics. I was part of Stephen Harper's federal government and helped him to put together the merged um, the newly merged conservative party about 15 years ago. Actually, no, what am I saying? It's now uh, 20 years ago. Time flies. Um, And so we were a national government for 10 years, um, but lost to Justin Trudeau in 2015. And he just recently made a coalition in parliament with the socialists, which obviously for us is pretty discouraging. But on the other hand, they seem to, they really seem to be overreaching on the left. So we now have a string of provincial, like our version of state governments that are, about seven or eight of the 10 uh, provincial governments are broadly center-right. They're, they're what we, in Canadian terms, conservative. And uh, so that's been quite a change. And I think that, um, you know, one of the, the Trudeau government is pushing really hard on fairly radical green left policies that are driving energy inflation. And people are willing to vote for some of those things in the abstract, but when it really starts to bite them in the pocketbook, it changes. So I think there's a, an inflection point. We're going through um, our equivalent of a kind of presidential primary, if you will, the leadership election for the federal conservatives. And uh, a former staffer of mine, a guy named uh, Pierre Poliver, is uh, bringing a, an amazing energy. He's getting the biggest crowds we've ever seen at that level of Canadian politics. So I think we're actually going through a bit of a change here. Uh, let's hope. Let's hope, because Justin Trudeau is an absolute disaster. Um you mentioned something, actually, one of the reasons we really wanted to talk to you, because Alberta, I mean, look, for those of us who aren't uh, as educated in Canada, I have had a family place in Menaki, Ontario uh, for 100 years in my family. So I, I've got some education about all of this. But I think for the vast majority of Americans, your, your politics uh, has sort of puzzled us in, in many regards, right? Um, but for those of you who don't know sort of how this is situated in Alberta, you're basically like the energy capital of, of Canada, right? Well, we, we're the energy capital of North America. Right. Uh, we have the third largest oil reserves on earth uh, and like the fourth or fifth largest gas reserves. Uh, we have about 180 billion barrels of proven and probable oil. And uh, we are the third largest producer of oil in the world. We about 50, about 60% of U.S. oil imports come from my province, come from Alberta. And it's kind of funny because when I go down to Washington um, and I'm schlepping around in a yellow cab, I can barely get a meeting with a janitor in the State Department. The the Amir of Oman blows into town, which actually happened when I was last there, going around in a 40-car motorcade, and every door is open to him. And Oman is responsible for less than 5% of U.S. energy imports. So it's a really strange situation where you've got – we look at this, you've got your president – killed the Keystone XL pipeline that my government, we actually went in as partners on that because the private sector couldn't pay for it because of all the political risk. 
And um, he, uh, Joe Biden killed that on day one of his administration. Um, and then he ends up importing about six, 700,000 barrels a day from Putin's Russia. Right. When the embargo, embargo comes on that, he's pleading with the Saudi king to produce more, uh, lifting sanctions on Iran, Iranian oil exports and on Venezuelan oil exports. And, you know, why didn't they give us a call? Like, we're your closest friends and allies. We're your neighbors. I mean, it and makes we- absolutely no sense, right? And, yeah. and this is the, the puzzling part for those of us domestically who've tried to, to figure this out is exactly what you just said, right? I mean, I understand these guys are ideological about energy. They basically want to ban oil and gas, despite the fact that their entire country relies upon it, right? But then when you get into a fix like we're in right now with Ukraine and Russia and global supply and prices going through the roof, you would think the first call would be to Alberta here. It's a no-brainer. Um, and, you know, the Keystone XL pipeline that, that Biden killed would have uh, delivered about 850,000. Frankly, in a stretch, they could probably do upwards of, of upwards of a million barrels a day. Oh. Um, and that right there would more than replace uh, Russia and allow you not to bring Venezuelan heavy back on stream. I mean, it, it just makes absolutely no sense that... In a world, especially after the invasion of Ukraine, right. when this has been, we, the whole world has been mugged by reality in terms of energy security and energy politics. Why, in that context, Washington University, like this, should not be a partisan or ideological question. This should be a bipartisan issue, and I, I think Senator Manchin demonstrates that it is. That that Alberta, Canada, is the answer to global energy scarcity for the United States, at the very least. But we have our own problems here uh, because because of a, an accretion of kind of green left policies, a lot of it, by the way, Jack, funded by American uh, NGOs, foundations, of of the, Rockefeller, the Rockefeller Foundation, the Ford, uh, the, uh, the Packard Foundation, a whole bunch of others have poured tens of millions of dollars into Canadian politics and lawfare to try to block uh, energy infrastructure pipelines, both for oil and gas, the result is, and I'm summarizing basically 15 years of, of a fight that, that my province has been having with your uh, left-wing foundations. The result is that, that we, we, can't, we don't have any LNG export capacity. If we did off Canada's East Coast, we could easily replace Russia as the main source of gas for Europe. Hmm. But we can't because Justin Trudeau and others, other politicians who were elected partly with the indirect support of that U.S. foundation money through various green uh, campaigns have basically blocked all that infrastructure. That's unbelievable. So this is actually a point that I wanted to get to, because in the United States, you know, largely the Democratic side, you mentioned Senator Manchin, there are a few exceptions that, that where this becomes bipartisan and people actually have a dose of, of reality. But by and large, Democratic administrations now dating back to the Obama administration with the Biden administration are fairly ideological about this whole thing at all. Right. I mean, if a state has problems with oil and gas leases, if they're trying to export, it it goes nowhere with the federal government in the United States. It strikes me that you have a similar problem with Justin Trudeau. And I guess what you just explained is because of his coalition and the, the NGOs that are supporting these left wing green policies, you're not getting a lot of support. Well, yeah, to say the least. I mean, he, um, his right-hand man is not any longer in the prime minister's office, our equivalent of the White House, but he, the guy who was kind of his top advisor, uh, a guy named Jerry Butts, 
took over the World Wildlife Fund in Canada and turned it from a kind of mainstream conservation organization into a, a radical and obsessive organization focused only on emissions. Uh, he also brought in, as the head of domestic policy at the prime minister's office, uh, somebody who was the former president of the Sierra Club, Canada, same kind of thing. There's this constellation of organizations, and many of them were at present at a conference hosted by the Rockefeller Brothers uh, Foundation in New York in 2008 uh, to develop what they called the tar sands campaign. Now, the tar sand, tar sands is a pejorative term for the Canadian oil sands. That's the right. that that's that huge reserve in the northern part of my province where there's 180 billion barrels of proven and probable and probably a lot more than that, that we haven't even identified yet. And it's, it's a, it's a heavy um, kind of uh, oil soaked sand and it, it's energy intensive to separate the oil from the sand. So, but the reason why those groups uh, focused on landlocking a Canadian, Canadian energy, Alberta energy is because I think they saw us as as kind of Boy Scouts. They saw as, uh, us as the easy kid to bully in the schoolyard. They're not going to be able to persuade Vladimir Putin or any OPEC dictatorship to produce or ship one less barrel of oil. Mm-hmm. But they figured, you know, Canada were this uh, apologetic. And what's the definition of a Canadian? Somebody who apologizes when you step on their foot, right? How do you get 10 Canadians out of the pool? You say, excuse me, would you please get out of the pool? And then they get out and they apologize for having been in the pool. So that's our national uh, you know, character. It's kind of charming in a way, but it means that we're an easy target for political and legal pressure. And, and so they've run, as I say, tens of millions of dollars of campaigns in elections, uh, direct activism. I mean, they just had a crew of about two dozen radicals storming a pipeline construction site in my next door province, British Columbia, uh, with axes to, to and de- like like basically eco terrorism, and and ultimately a lot of this stuff traced itself back to U.S. foundations that have been funding it. So it's been incredible. It's been really a toxic thing. In fact, on my government, we appointed a a, a legal inquiry into the foreign funding behind the campaign to landlock Alberta energy. I mean, it's just it's stunning to me. And and the thing that makes it so ironic is that you're the people who would work with environmentalists to try to produce cleaner energy. Right. Whereas like Vladimir Putin doesn't he doesn't care at all. Right. You know, of the if you look at the world's top 10 energy producers of oil and gas producers, there's only two that are democracies, Canada and the United States. Canada is by far the larger uh, resource uh, reserves than the U.S. Um, And those are the only two countries really that are major that have major reserves and are major producers that have transparent publicly traded companies that are accountable in the market. I mean, if you go to OPEC and Russia, these are either state-owned enterprises or de facto state-controlled companies in countries that have little or no environmental standards and no real transparency, no real reporting. Hmm. Um, so another thing that we're facing, in addition to kind of the, the political activism to landlocker energy is is increasingly shareholder activism, again, informed by the same green left movement uh, through ESG, environmental, social and governance uh, principles and investing that really treat us like they they impose a massive double standard on us of all places. I mean, I'll give you an example. HSBC, the big Asian bank, British Asian bank, um, said they were going to said about four or five years ago, they were not going to provide any financial services to the Canadian oil sands because of our, our emissions profile. 
which is going down. We're, we're the guys that are actually investing substantially in emissions reducing technology. But the very next month, they're hosting an investor conference in, uh, conference in Riyadh. I mean, BlackRock, uh, with, after Larry Fink's letter about effectively divesting from hydrocarbons, uh, the next year, he's bidding on a, a gas pipeline in Saudi Arabia. So we, we have a hard time understanding why it's okay to do business with Gazprom, Luke Oil, PetroChina, uh, Saudi Aramco, uh, at, and, 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 and all of the world's worst regimes, but it's a terrible thing to do business with publicly traded companies <laughs> in a liberal democracy that is almost obsessive about reducing our emissions. It's, it's, it's wild. And the one thing that I'm wondering, I mean, it's, it sounds like when you come to DC, you got a tough time getting anybody to, to talk to you. I, do you think that's because Trudeau basically doesn't put a priority on it? In part. You know, I tried to get him to call Joe Biden. Uh, what well, we learned about a week before the president was sworn in that he intended to uh, sign an executive order vetoing the Keystone XL presidential permit on day one. And it was actually friends of ours in the union movement who, like the, the big Democrat affiliated unions, support projects like that. So they tipped us off and they said, We desperately need you to get Prime Minister Trudeau to call President elect Biden on this and, and that, and at least buy some time, but yeah. he wouldn't do it. He, he wouldn't do it. Call? And when they, he would not make the call, even though Canada's biggest export to the United States by far is Alberta oil, a hundred billion plus a year that we sell you guys. Um, and we couldn't get him to make the call. And then when Biden actually signed the veto, uh, the, uh, the Trudeau government basically just like they, 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 they just rolled over. It yeah. was abject surrender and not exactly a good way to earn respect when your key trading partner slaps you in the face on day one uh, of their administration. So it's uh, it's incredibly frustrating. And I, I don't want to get, give the wrong impression. We do have a lot of, of allies in, in U.S. politics on both sides of the aisle. And I, I get very good access on Capitol Hill. I was just down at the National Governors Association meeting. Majority of governors and state governments support this. Uh, Canadian oh, I imagine energy. they do. They're pretty interested in, in being able to stay energy relevant, right? <laughs> and, and obviously we, we, uh, we get, uh, you know, we had very good access in the last U.S. administration, yeah. but, um, it, you know, I, I, let me just put it this way. Uh, Canada's national government, Mr. Trudeau's government does not act as though our vital economic interests are tried, tied to our largest industry, which happens to be Alberta oil and gas. Yeah. Well, it's certainly similar to something that the Biden administration has. They don't seem tethered to any sort of reality whatsoever. When well, what happened on that is it's very interesting. In uh, the Dem primaries, uh, Joe Biden was one of the only, whatever, was 16 or 18 candidates who did not sign a declaration from one from a, a bunch of green organizations committing to veto Keystone XL. And then uh, he effectively wins the primaries, it's Super Tuesday and everything, uh, roll forward to June. And suddenly, like the... A mid-level policy guy in his uh, campaign issues a statement that if elected, Joe Biden is going to veto Keystone XL. The, the, the candidate, it was never in, he, he never uttered the words. He never spoke to it. It was not, not only was it not a priority, we assumed, having gone through the entire primaries, not having campaigned against it, that this was part of his effort to be a mainstream, right. blue-collar, pro-jobs uh, Democrat. But then what happened was in June and July of that year, 
we understand he was a negotiate. His campaign was in negotiations with the with the Sanders campaign to make peace in the party, to avoid a floor fight, to uh, get the turnout uh, from the left. And uh, basically, uh, one of the demands from the Ber Bernie Bros was veto Keystone XL. Um, and then hire a bunch of our people into the energy and environment section of the transition team. So uh, that's our, I don't know if that's a correct read, but that's certainly, we that were quite surprised. Right. It was not in keeping with like Joe Biden's alliance with the building trades, with the steel workers, with the, um, uh, the Teamsters, all of whom support the project. Uh, it, it sounds totally accurate. And it, it's been a mystery to all of us how you can run and win a Democratic primary in the United States with a moderate profile and then be governed as a an abject progressive liberal. But, you know, look, energy is is amongst a long line of issues which we're, we've been confronted with. Let me ask you about Keystone in particular. If is that project something that can be kept on ice? Is that is that something that you can deal with like you dealt with the Obama administration where it can sort of a new administration, a Republican administration in January well, no. 25 can turn it back on? Keystone itself is done and dusted because the pipeline company, TransCanada Energy, they blew out $8 billion in 10 years on the project and they're just done. Yeah. Uh, so they've sold off a lot of the assets. But but the concept, and by the way, TransCanada Energy and my government, government of Alberta, were suing the Biden administration through a NAFTA complaint for violating, um, the, you know, for basically violating the investor protection provisions of NAFTA, which have been carried forward into the new USMCA. But uh, look, the dream hasn't died. And this is what I was talking to Joe. We had Joe Manchin up here for a couple of days uh, last week. Um, and I'll be down in Washington meeting with the other folks on, on Capitol Hill about this. You know, if if I think where there's a will, there's there's a way. And, you know, we're willing sellers of this energy and we're willing in principle to participate in de-risking a major pipeline. Um, and if there's a future alignment in the U.S. Congress or and or administration that wants it to happen, I'm sure we can find pipeline companies that will build it and maybe pick up some of the assets from from um, Keystone XL. So Case, Keystone XL itself is done and dusted, but I do think it's possible for us to get you more energy so you can eliminate OPEC imports. Well, that's, I mean, look, it's good news. It's terrible news for the people who were trying to get Keystone XL done. I mean, the amount of jobs lost in addition to the the revenue over, you know, the oil and, and just the energy in general is is a tragedy. But it's good to know that there is some some other efforts that could be undertaken. Because I do think we're, we are undergoing a bit of a red wave here. And I expect that our elections are going to be reflective of that, at least in 2022. We'll see what happens in 2024. Uh, let me talk about your sort of, you mentioned you were in Stephen Harper's government. You're now premier of Alberta. Uh, hey, hold on a second, Josh. It's, it's Alberta. We yeah. like, kind of, not Alberta, yeah. just Alberta. <laughs> Alberta. Alberta. Actually, we kind of pronounce it Berta, just Berta. Berta. Go ahead. All right. Yeah. No, that's a good correction. I'll take that. Kind of like, you know, Alabama, Bama, you know? Yeah. All right. You're Berta. Okay. Something I like got that. it. I got it. Well, so how did you get involved in how did you get involved in politics in the first place? Um, well, actually, funny you should ask. I was in the uh, I was in the state. I was always involved as a young guy. I was always interested in it. Uh, and I went down to college in in San Francisco at a Jesuit school, University of San Francisco. Uh, not exactly the capital of conservatism. I was going to say, yeah. And I started out as a as a, I was a bit of a young lefty, and I ha actually helped to revive the Demo the dormant Democrat club on campus. 
Uh, I actually ran the Al Gore primary campaign in my campus in 1988 (laughs) (laughs) and was involved in all sorts of things like that. Um, But it was actually, I was kind of mugged by reality during my years there and studying philosophy and then just, and and actually just opening my eyes to different perspectives. And I, over those, over that time, I became pretty conservative, came back to Canada and helped to start a group called the Canadian Taxpayers Federation Mm -hmm. at the time. Canadian taxes and deficits were just insane. And there was a big pushback. I was part of that. Um, so I worked out kind of in the conservative movement, but not the electoral side. And then I uh, took the plunge when I was just 829, I think, and got elected to the federal parliament as a member for the Reform Party, which was then kind of like a, a populist uh, split off from the more uh, establishment Tory party. And then I was involved in with Stephen Harper putting the two together. Mm, okay, that's just excellent. So You've seen politics change a lot in your tenure. Yeah. yeah. And you think, do you think that the conservatism itself is on the rise overall in Canada? Because you get such mixed messages from where we're sitting. Yeah. Well, as I said earlier, uh, we have most of the provincial governments are, are conservative, but let's be honest. I mean, there's a different spectrum here, right? So yeah, right. A, typical, a typical Canadian center-right party would be called a progressive conservative party. And they would probably, depending on where and what issue, they would fall in as kind of moderate centrist Democrats if you applied it issue by issue. Um, Because, you know, I I don't know, it's part of our political culture in Canada. We um, have uh, always been more deferential to authority. Um, The people that founded English Canada were refugees from the American Revolution, the United Empire Loyalists. Mm-hmm. And, and French Canada was a very deeply Catholic uh, conservative society in a cultural sense. Uh, but a lot of that, that kind of uh, respect for authority has now gone to the state, from the church to the state in the last 50 years through something called the Quiet Revolution. So Canada is obviously our political culture is, is somewhat more statist than the United States. But uh, I wouldn't overstate that. And I think people, there's people that have a breaking point and they're, they're seeing energy poverty with, through things like carbon taxes and, and inflation through bad fiscal and monetary policy really starting to hit them. And so I do think that there's, a, a, there's about to be a, a, a bit of a, a political backlash to that. And I think you'll see a very good chance of a, of a federal conservative government here in the next federal election. No, that's that's great. That's really great to hear. Well, listen, we're all fans of Canada. Uh, Next time we're in Berta, you're going to have to you're going to have to take us hunting or fishing or something because it's I know you got great stuff up there. We've got that. We've got the very best. And uh, you're always welcome to it. In fact, Uh, when when Joe Manchin was up here, that's that's what he really wanted to do, I think. But uh, we'll bring him back for another trip. Nice. All right. Well, the Ruthless Variety program will will let you know we we may have plans. (laughs) Um, All right. I have three questions that I ask every single guest. And I'm very interested to get your perspective on this. The first question is, if you could plan your last meal on earth, what would it be? Well, I got to go patriotic in this and say Alberta ribeye. Okay. You have the best beef in the world, by the way, not just the best oil, but also the best beef. We're kind of, in, in some ways, Canada's taxes. And, uh, but we don't feed our cattle corn like you guys do. That's ridiculous. It's, it's all grain fed cattle. And uh, so you got to go with the, And a good Alberta rye whiskey as well. We, we produce some of the best in the world. At least you call it rye, right? I mean, I, it drives me nuts when somebody calls it bourbon. It's rye. It is very, very different. <laughs> that 100%. is that. Yeah, no, it's great. All right. Well, that makes sense. Total sense. You picked a fight with Texas and Nebraska while you're at it, but that's good. We're good. Uh, all right. Second question. 
if you never got into this line of work at all, if you never got into public service in any form or respect, uh, and you had this just great big hole in your life that you could literally blue sky anything you wanted to do with it, what would you do? Yeah, I don't know. I probably would be kind of in a think tank. I'm sure that here comes the joke that I'd be in the shallow end, but uh, you know, I, 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 I'm an, I'm an ideas guy. I'm a policy guy. I mean, I, I've obviously spent a lot of time on the, on the kind of uh, uh, the retail and mechanic side of politics, but what drew me in was, I mean, I studied philosophy, right? So um, I would probably be happiest in, in, in a kind of like a conservative think tank trying to put forward ideas and, and, and persuade people because, you know, you can win elections, but if you don't bring the population with you, it doesn't really matter. No, that's an excellent point. All right. So here's question number three. And this is, this is where it gets a little complicated. Our running theory is that almost everybody of any sort of accomplishment whatsoever is motivated by one of two things, the thrill of victory or the agony of defeat. And it's not that anybody enjoys defeat or anybody doesn't enjoy victory. It's about what keeps them going, right? Because everybody has setbacks and it's just how you deal with it. And the, the thrill of victory person is always the glass half full, sunny optimist charging up the hill. The agony of defeat person is somebody who's every accomplishment they've ever had in life lasts for like two minutes, right? But any setback they've ever had, they remember the granular detail of each and every aspect of that setback and vow never to repeat it. So those are the two options. Well, with that loaded question, do you ever actually have anybody say they that they're motivated by defeat? Oh yeah, you'd be surprised. Really? Right. It's, it's, I, I'm going to go with the thrill of victory. Uh, I've won twelve elections, so I don't know what defeat is like. Um, and <laughs> That's a great part. Great. Hopefully, answer. hopefully never do. But um, I know I I've been I've been fortunate in in my time in, in politics to be on the on the right side of of the contests. Um, and uh, yeah, I mean, it's like, but, but having said that, having won elections myself personally, I've been on the opposition side yeah. uh, in both parliament and my provincial legislature here. And uh, they, we have a saying in Canada that the worst day in government is better than the best day in opposition. So the ability of actually putting your ideas into action, you know, even though government, you know how it is in government, there's usually there's only bad choices and all of that. But still, being able to make the difference, that's the motivator. Oh, that's excellent. All right. So make the pitch to all the Ruthless Variety program listeners. Why should we go visit Berta? <laughs> well, uh, first of all, what am I? It is like the most beautiful part of North America, the biggest, the most dramatic Rocky Mountains, got the best fishing and, and hunting uh, in the continent. And, and, and Americans will feel right at home in Alberta. We were settled, the Southern Alberta was settled by American pioneers, ranchers, the oil industry. So it's like, it's like taking a trip away, but it's still familiar. And uh, it's a lot of fun. Oh, that's great. Excellent pitch. Excellent interview. Really appreciate your time. Premier Jason Kenny. thank you so much for coming on the program. It was fun. Thanks, Josh. Take care. Take care. So I like this guy a lot. Um, you know, I don't know much about the politics up there. I know that Alberta has got to be the most conservative part of Canada. So it sort of makes sense that this is a conservative guy. Uh, but what he said about the energy situation, I thought was incredibly compelling. It, it sheds so much light into the just absolute dumbassery yep. that is the Biden administration and how they've handled energy production, the relationships that they make. I mean, it's just... It's, it's bizarre to me. 
I mean, it, not only is it one of the most beautiful places on earth, I mean, according to the pictures, I've never been there, but boy, I really want to go. Uh, but there's so much, according to him and according to things you read, there's so much, it's so rich in resources. Yeah. It's unbelievable how much they have right here in North America, right across the border. Very easy to access that. I just don't understand. There's, ne- there's never an explanation as to why it is that you would beg Russia and Venezuela for oil. And you never have to worry about like Canadian terrorism. Like, can you imagine Canadian terrorism? Oh, like, hey, what's going on? Like, what's that? <laughs> getting cut in line? Like, <laughs> <laughs> cross. It's a cross check. Yeah, cross oh, there check. you go. That's exactly right. Well, I think we've done it, fellas. Yeah. I mean, if I say so myself, absolute banger of an episode. And uh, we're going to have a very special guest on the next episode that I'm very excited about. I'm not going not gonna to give names now. It'll be a nice little surprise. So until next time, minions, keep the faith hold the line, and own the libs. We'll see you on Thursday. Stay ruthless.